Hi, and welcome to Process, a podcast where we have honest conversations about what it takes to manage the ups and downs of the creative journey. I'm Marcela Chamorro, your host. Julian Smith is my guest on this episode. Julie and I go way back to some South by Southwest event in Austin, Texas a few years ago. Back then, Julian was an author and blogger. Fast forward to today, and Julian's the CEO of a startup he founded called Breather, which provides spaces for people to book to either work, meet, or relax. So in cities like New York, Montreal, San Francisco, and soon London, you can open up Breather on your phone and instantly book a beautiful space for a couple hours to work, nap, or host an important meeting. I'm going to ask Julian about what life is like after the whole will this startup live or die phase. Breather is now pretty well established and very popular among city dwellers. So how does he spend his time to keep pushing the boundaries of his own limits and the limits of Breather as a project? Let's get to it. Julian, thanks so much for being on Process. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about Breather, and I'm very curious specifically, how did your time in radio and writing lead to starting Breather? <laughs> I, don't, it, it, I don't think it did. That's so funny because I have- But it uh, did. You started there. You got here. How did this happen? <laughs> You're right. It did. That is how it happened. What it led me to is, or what helped me do it, is by being on the edge of when podcasting was starting and the edge of you know when social media, which- you know, used to be a trend before it became a worldwide phenomenon, is I was constantly on the edge of what was happening with technology. And so that led me to see new opportunities in technology for company, uh, for this company, Breather, that I run today, which I would not have otherwise seen. So it's all about tech and seeing like, hey, what's this new thing that's possible with this new tech? And what's it like to go from like, creating content mm-hmm. to becoming CEO of a startup? Yeah. Well, yeah, the first thing you have to do is you have to learn to trust people. Uh, you can no longer do everything yourself. So as a writer, when I wrote my books, I was able to, I, I had a co, co-author. So my co-author, Chris, who you know, uh, was I well, was obviously producing a lot of content, but it was still fundamentally just him and me. So there was high trust, but it wasn't like high trust in a whole organization. So I have, I have about 70 employees right now, and I have to trust just that things are going to get done. And, and, and doing that on that scale just means you, you'd simply, like if someone's falling down, you can't just do it yourself. You know, if Chris did not write about whatever section, I could just write that section in that book. And that's true on the blog as well. It's definitely not true here. So here you have no choice but to find amazing people and, and completely like kind of let go and just trust them to do their work. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, you've always had, apart from your co-author, then you had this experience which with the domino effect, with uh, Seth Godin writing The Flinch, your book, you've mm-hmm. always been surrounded by like, these amazing people and collaborators. How is it that you continue that with Breather? Is that like your main challenge right now in finding the best people possible? Yeah, you're, you're completely right. Uh, you, you go from, I think I read this in a book somewhere, one of those self-help books, where you go from this mode where you're essentially a single contributor, to this mode where the network is basically uh, helping you achieve greater things. So, so as an individual contributor, you you have you just have a fundamental limit. You know, no matter how I don't know popular your podcast is or your popular book is, something like that. You know, Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, you know, I don't know Jack Welsh, whoever. Uh, as a single contributor, even with super high leverage, like huge distribution and so on, there's a limit to how much you can achieve. 
And so at some point you have to, you have to just say, okay, it's going to go beyond me. And it's going to have to be about a whole organization of people. It could be a small group, whatever. I guess, I guess it's probably true in political organizations. It's probably true for everything. And so what happened is, is that I already had a trusted network of people around me from writing and so on that turned out to be famous investors. And it turned out to be, you know, just people that could help me extend my reach. So that just fundamentally changed the game for me. And once you have, essentially, like once you have the answer, Marcel, is like once you have one collaborator, you can get another one. And once you have two, you can get a third and so on. So actually getting the first one is probably the hardest job. And then from that point on, more and more people trust you because they see that you've done good work, you know? So it is, it is about confidence and the confidence that people have in you and the confidence that you can, that you can produce in them that you're going to get a good outcome. I think it's very apt that we're speaking today because just this morning I was screenshotting like maybe, I don't even know if that's a verb, like 15 photos of different breathers because I love Mm -hmm. their decoration and design so much. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about content and being on the edge of technology. But what about design? Were you well connected in like the design Mm -hmm. industry or how did that become such an important part of... A, you know, breather and how, what it is today. I mean, when it makes it, first of all, so incredibly shareable. Every breather mm, is right. beautiful. But just in general, that's not something that I would have initially expected from a company like Breather in terms of its concept. How did that mm. become so into such an integral part? I mean, you know, it's from our perspective, it's kind of, you know, I don't know. It, it just seems to me like when when you have infinite, you know, I don't know. Every everybody knows, for example, that right now, if you start a startup, like capital is relatively easy to obtain. So basically, you can act like capital is a commodity, right? Like I can get some money and hire a couple people. And so, uh, if you're looking to sort of compete, you can't just have some money. You can't just have good people. You can't just have a good app. Like it's almost like every single thing has to be great. And especially in our case, we fundamentally compete with one of the most one of the most ubiquitous networks out there in the Western world or in the world, which is Starbucks. And that's kind of how I see our business as sort of an alternative to Starbucks. And so when I look at this super easy option, basically, where you can walk in and sit and have a table to yourself and get Wi-Fi and get a cup of coffee and the table is free and it costs five bucks to sit there for two hours, like our alternative breather had better be amazing. And so I just thought about it, I guess, from the perspective of a user first. And as a user, you're looking at this, this product and you're saying, hey, you know, be honest with yourself, why would I use it? So it was inevitable that we had to make the spaces just completely great. And, uh, and we do that in order to compete. And, and from that point on, like, I guess you just need some taste or you just need a sense of, you know, what you like in space. And you need to really, really care about space. And as founders, we really care about space. We really care about making sure that the space that you enter into is great. Like when you go into a great hotel lobby or when you go into someone's home and it's just so amazingly done, uh, you know and you feel that and you want to return there. So that's just like we knew from the beginning it had to be a core competence in what we did. So. In the startup world, there's this, you know, all this talk about eating your own dog food or dog fooding or whatever, and using your own products. Was Breather a result, and it's design, and what we're, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about? What is a result of you trying to fulfill needs that you felt was missing, or was it something for yourself, or was it mm-hmm. more of a situation where I see a hole in the market and let's tend to that? 
Yeah, it was all of those things. So, you know, they say it's true. They say this in technology. They say like, you should find a hole in the market, which I was seeing a hole in the market. What I was looking at is I was looking at space in general and going, oh, you notice how there's never really these places to go. And what I was noticing specifically is that whenever I wanted to go to a certain place, it was always closed. And I had a Zen center, which was like across town specifically because I was looking to meditate more often, actually. And I knew that I needed an environment to do that. And, and so I would keep going. And, I, and the, the, the stupid place is open like two hours a day. And every other hour of the day, it's closed. And I was like, this is ridiculous. The space is just there. I want to go in. I don't, I'm not going to steal anything, you know? I actually remember when I you I just want to go and, and, and be in this environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I do. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real feeling that I have is this sense of, uh, of really that, that being a personal thing that I really cared about. So, and I was looking at it and going like, man, this should be something. If yeah. you're starting a company, especially if it's a company that's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be, you really care about it yourself and it's got to be, there's a hole in the market. Like everything has to be right for it to be really successful. So I remember when you started thinking about what Breather ended up being today, it started out as a very different concept and it sounded like a meditation center, very beautiful, no phones allowed kind of disconnection mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. How did that morph into a place yeah. where you... It's not that there's, it's about disconnection, but I feel it's like an, also a great place to take meetings. So mm-hmm. just how did it go from meditation-ish area to mm-hmm. work very, a very Zen workplace? Okay, got it. So the way that it happened is that I kept looking at what – I was fundamentally looking at space, right? And I was saying like – as I expressed, I was like I need a place to go where I will feel good and blah, 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 you know? And it was kind of like about, I don't know, peace and retreat and other things like that. But as I looked at it, the closer I looked at it, the more I realized that there, there's an expression in technology called software eats the world. Have you ever heard this expression before? So what that means is, is software uh, code or programs or whatever slowly and progressively basically swallow different industries. Like you could basically look at BuzzFeed and you could say, see that that is like basically software swallowing journalism. You know, and it's like a completely new form of of journalism and a completely new form of content that is basically swallowed or is in the process of swallowing old journalism, just the same way that Twitter kind of swallowed old journalism. And you can look at Uber and you could say, well, this is this is software swallowing taxis. Okay, and so software eats the world essentially means that software will slowly eat away at every industry until it becomes just the smallest possible version of itself. So I looked at it and I said. Okay, well, how is software going to swallow space? Because I, I was looking at this meditation center, and I was like, this is, you know, looking at myself critically, this is dumb. Software can just swallow this because you can just meditate through an app. And I was like, okay, so there's no point in, for example, meditation classes in such a space. The really core thing that I actually want is the space. And then I can use the app, you know, this imaginary app to meditate or something. And then I was looking at it like, oh, but there should be, I don't know, tea or coffee in this such a place, right? And you'd be like, no, software will swallow that. If I go to the space, I'll be able to get coffee or tea through Postmates or through some other service. So essentially, you keep looking at, at your idea. This is a great way to come up with any business. And what you do is you, you cut away at pieces of it by saying, no, software will eat that. Software will eat that. Software will eat that. And what I was left with was a room with a locked door that you can unlock with your phone. And, and I was like, well, software is never going to eat away at space. 
because we're human beings and we'll physically just fundamentally need space in order to do things. Like that's never going to go away until we all go into the matrix. So I was like, okay, so this is the core idea is like, it's a room. And then I realized that essentially the more open that it became and the more accepting the room was of whatever you want to do, the better it would be. So I should not say no Wi-Fi because some people want to use Wi-Fi and will want to use it to work. And some people want to use it to lie down so they can do that. And so the space just became more and more open to whatever the use case was. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, Breather is now taking up more and more space among different cities. New York is a big one for, you know, I've heard that, especially from personal friends, that's the city where I hear a lot of users are loving Breather. What is Mm -hmm. the next city where you're going to be opening up Breather? Yeah. Well, I mean, London is the, London is the most major one. And so we're opening several cities in in, in early next year. But obviously, London is the core one that, like New York, is probably, you know, is, is one of the world's centers of activity. And it's an incredibly dense place like New York is. I mean, not, not quite as dense as New York, but close. And so that's the major one, you know. And so as we enter into new cities like that, we know more and more about how to get it done. So when we started in New York, we knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then when we launched in San Francisco, we knew a little bit more. And so as we do different cities, we learn more about what the process is and how we should do things until it eventually kind of becomes a playbook. And when it becomes a playbook, then you just you can execute in a new city very easily because you've seen many cities before and you've gone through so many different processes of trial and error. So London is the new city that we're going into that's probably the most significant. And is this something that you, I mean, I feel like you've been involved in all kinds of different industries. Is opening new cities, writing playbooks, hiring people, like what is it exactly that you, the activity that you enjoy the most with Breather? I think like I've gotten to a place now where I'm able to do the same thing that I did before, which is mostly like once you have close to 100 employees or more, your job becomes at the beginning, it was very social. And prior to me running a company, uh, my job was very social, as you know. Like I did talks and I wrote books. That's basically fundamentally social and about information. And so my job, again, now at around at this number of employees is pretty social as well because uh, it, it just it, it involves uh, influence and it involves helping people make decisions without making the decision yourself. And it involves sharing your thinking. It involves writing to a team of people to express what the vision is and a bunch of other things like that. So ironically, it went from me doing having to do all the work to me being able to hire sufficient people that they are able to do much more than I could alone, of course. And uh, as a consequence, my job becomes much more about influence as a CEO. And are you still writing? I mean, I, I think the last time we hung out down here in Nicaragua, and just to give people some context, you very coincidentally date a Nicaraguan. So we hang out from time <laughs> to time down here in the tropics. Uh, last time we hung out down here, you told me that you are still writing for yourself. So mm-hmm. do you write like on a daily basis? What's the deal with your writing? Because I mean, you have quite a substantial audience, I'm sure, probably just waiting for the next blog post, but sure. it never comes. Yeah. Why it's it's it inter- <laughs> that's that's a it's a super good question because I actually do write a lot. I do write for myself uh, almost every day. I actually just came from doing that before. I write about once a week or once every two weeks internally for my company. So I write out basically what is a blog post. Like the last one was about competition, and I wrote about competition and I sent that to about seventy people that work for me. And then what? But what happens is is that 
is that more and more of the stuff that's interesting becomes internal and I can't really share it or it's harder to share it because I'm also saying, oh, here's what I think about what we've been doing. And I probably don't want to say that to the public or to people that would endeavor to copy us or something like that. So there becomes this constant challenge where you are communicating more and more. I think eventually I'll get really good at this and I'll be able to communicate more publicly. I do it more on Twitter, actually. On Twitter, I do do tweet storms and other things like that, but it's it's much more seldom as it as it blog posts. But fundamentally, my job is always about communicating. It's about like, here's this thing that I noticed. What do you think about this new strategy in this new place? What kind of person should we hire? How should we think about you know our product? How should we think about our app and our locations and and just all of these things that are really kind of the same job that you have when you're a writer and a speaker, actually. Okay, so there's probably. No chance of upcoming blog posts. For, for <laughs> I mean, you want to read your writing, go work for Breather. Yeah, long, long term, the answer is yes. Medium term, the answer is probably short term. Every time I write a post, I'm like, how can I share this? And the answer becomes like, it would be too hard to edit and to remove. But I'm, I'm getting better and better at this. And actually, we talk about it. Uh, internally, because we, we everybody everybody knows that it's valuable, and everybody knows obviously that there's an audience and all these things. So I, I think it will happen in the coming few blog posts. I just don't know which one. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, Buffer is a good example. I, I believe Intercom as well has a pretty substantial following on their corporate blog, on their startup blog. So yeah, you never know. And and anyways, I mean, you have the writing chops. So um, <laughs> right. tell me a little bit about. What it's like, I mean, what would you consider a creative low these days? Is it more uh, a, yeah. Well, yeah, just tell me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's creative lows. You, you do this thing at the beginning, this is like a Peter Thielism, is where they say you go to zero to, you do zero to one. So creation of an innovative idea, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be like a, you know, an Instagram account where you're sharing like a new thing or whatever it is, you know. It's, it's, all, it's kind of zero to one. In a, it's like the creation of a new thing. And then what you do once you're progressing in that, when you go from the first podcast episode to the hundredth or whatever, is what they would call one to M, which means like essentially duplicating, kind of duplicating and optimizing. And as you're doing so, learning more, getting better at it, and so on. And so it's completely different to say, well, I could invent anything. And then you, know, you choose to invent one thing, whatever that is. And then the second version of that is once you have invented the thing, you're essentially going to go super deep into it forever. It's like saying, uh, it's like haikus or something. You know, there's 14 syllables or whatever it is. And once you do the syllables, that's your form. And you're always going to do that same form for like the next five years. And that's kind of like what, what a startup is like, is once it's working, you're just going to go super, super, super deep into it. So a lot of it doesn't even seem like it's really innovation or it's innovation at a very detailed oriented level. Like, what is the next core thing that will help us achieve our goals? And it's really, really small, you know? And so uh, that's completely, completely different from the initial innovation, which is way more exciting. But this innovation is how you're actually going to become world-class at something. And that's the part that's hard. So I'm going to push you on this. What would be a creative loaf (laughs) (laughs) for you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess guess what I mean is, is like, you, you become creative in a different way. And so what ends up happening is it ends up being a rut. And so okay. you're going to you're going to be in this rut. You're going to be like, I know we have to make progress. I don't know how. And, and yet you really don't have a choice because you've basically signed up to do one of the hardest things in the world, 
if it fails, it's hard. And if it's successful, it's also hard in a different way. So, so it just feel, becomes, yeah, go ahead. Do you feel that when you say like we need to make progress, is that in terms of we need to make a difficult decision or we need more users or we meet something yeah. in specific? It could be any of those things. And that's the thing is that it, it, even, even if you get good at, let's say, making one of those things happen, like getting more users, there's another fire to put out the following week. That's basically what being a startup CEO is like. And so you, so in terms of creative lows, to answer your question, it's really about looking at it and going like, I just don't know how to solve this problem. It becomes this insanely challenging thing where essentially the way to solve it is by getting like advisors or by getting an outside point of view. And because very few people are startup CEOs, there are really very few viewpoints that you can rely on, but you must have them. And, and you need to have them so that you can get out of your own rut. Because if you don't, you'll just stay there in your own thinking. You need outside thinking to help solve your problems. Is this, I mean, it sounds, to be quite honest, a little bit traumatizing. How do you, <laughs> let's be for serious, um, what, how do you deal? You mentioned meditation. I know that from time to time you hit up Nicaragua for some surfing. Yep. How do you deal on a day-to-day basis with being at the helm of something like Breather with 70 people and all yeah. of these fires to put out and blah, blah, yeah. blah? Well, you just get really good at knowing what your limits are. And so you have, like everyone, you have good days and bad days. This is normal. Everybody has this. It doesn't matter. My, by the way, my company is doing like really well. But it doesn't mean that there's no hard parts. And so you're going through whatever hard part. And fundamentally, you just have to know, like, this is my limit. If I go beyond this limit, bad things will happen. So you just have to be incredibly good at managing your own psychology. And this is something, luckily for me, like, I, I wrote about this. I wrote about managing my own psychology. I have another set of things, which I, ironically actually help me out, even though they're kind of vaguely disabilities. It's like, one, I have epilepsy. So because I used to have seizures, I always sleep eight hours a night. And so I'm much more stable than the average person that runs a startup who's like, oh, I'm going to burn the candle at both ends and I'm just going to overwork myself and I'm going to burn out. I literally can't do that because I will have a seizure, like actually. So because of that, I have no choice but to rein in a lot of my extreme activity. For example, I don't drink a lot. I always sleep. I make sure that I only have a certain amount of caffeine, like all of these things that just that. You know, they, they tell you on, on a, I don't know, self-help blogs or something. Like, I do those things naturally because I have to. So they make my life a lot easier. But fundamentally, it really is about managing your own psychology and being good at that. Because when your life is easy, it's, of course, very relatively easy to manage your own psychology. When your life is extreme and has extreme pressures, you have to get very, very good at it deliberately. I mean, I think that you... There's a difference between, you know, talking to talking, walking to walk. So being able to manage your own psychology is incredibly difficult, I think, even for writers or people who have written about it. So, I mean, hats off to you. But I'm wondering how, if you need to eat, sleep eight hours and you need to eat certain things and whatever, how did you almost kill yourself surfing (laughs) in Nicaragua? (laughs) This doesn't make sense, Julian. I'm like now worried for when you come back and start doing this again. Well, I, it's it, the uh, in terms of the surfing, it's incredibly relieving because when you're doing something you've never done before and you're on a surfboard, you really cannot do anything but focus on the present. So actually one of the most relieving, you know, t- t- you talked about meditation. So that's something that I do pretty much every day. And But anything that would essentially leave you in the present so you don't worry about the next five years is incredibly helpful, you know? And it's true, like writers have to do it because they have to maintain a structure or they'll never finish a book. 
right? And like every everyone has their own means of sort of going through, you know, I don't know, sharpening the star or whatever. And so in my case, it's downtime is extremely important. And so the more the better the the downtime is better when I literally cannot think about other things. And just so surfing ha- happens to be a thing like that. I'm pretty sure like all extreme sports part of apart from the adrenaline, mm-hmm. it's just the fact that it forces you into the present moment Completely. that people just cannot you know walk away. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, I love motocross. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure you like focusing on the present moment and living it. But okay, so. Speaking about creative lows, uh, what about creative highs? Mm-hmm. Is there some kind of, I mean, there's an incredible ego boost with, that comes with, you know, that whole like, fuck yes, I figured it out, or we have mm-hmm. X amount of new users. Yeah. How do you prevent, or has it just been experienced, like to prevent that up and down? Yeah. It's great to have the highs. The stability is actually maybe better. But definitely the core thing that helps me do that now is when I hire someone who's incredibly good at what they do. And so that essentially, usually what that results in is like, it's just this, this thing that I used to have that I used to manage. And they, you know, I don't know, in a recent blog post, a sort of startup blog post I read, they call it giving away your Legos. And so when you give away your Legos and you just say, like, can you do this thing that I used to do? And they do it just with such competence and like, and such like, you know, sometimes like effortlessness almost, it feels like, because you probably struggled at doing it. That's an incredible thing. And so it really is like you're watching this, 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 this organism unfold, like, which is a company. And this organism is essentially getting better and better and better at fulfilling what is fundamentally like a tiny goal that you made up like a couple of years ago. And, and so obviously that's really great, but you're right that the main thing is actually about stability is like the ups are great. The downs are great, but actually if you just manage to be right there in the middle, it's probably the most productive place to be. So is there a, you mentioned advisors and hiring and team and all this stuff, but apart from breather, is there like a creative community that you hang out in or that you lean on? So for example, I personally am part of a kind of mastermind group with your girlfriend uh we meet sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah i heard about this is this is there something that you can rely on aside yeah, from breather yeah it's completely it's completely around being being around other ceos and being around other people that have similar experiences like the one that i'm going through right now which is really rare so when you have those relationships they're really valuable so i don't know like last week i had dinner with the ceo of code academy which is a pretty big website that has taught something like 25 million people or something to code, right? So it's like a huge and me. Right, thing. So I can meet with that guy and we can talk about whatever, startup-related things or whatever. And so when you have that network around you, you can call someone and basically say, hey, you know, I've got this issue that I've got to deal with. Can you help me out? Have you ever seen anything like this? Do you know anybody who has seen anything like this? And they can help guide you through what you're going through. So I think fundamentally, like, you know, I mean, there's others, there's like personal things. Like I, I you know, I, I like playing board games and so I hang out with people, people and play board games and play RPGs and so on. And so from a personal level, that's really great. But on a professional level, outside of just my company, it's really like a group of people that have been through the same thing or are going through the same thing at either I can help them or they can help us and we can lean on each other because it's like a pretty unique experience that very few people go through. Cool. So just one last question. Mm -hmm. What are you working on next? Not necessarily breather related. We know London's coming up, but just what 
you as a person? What are you working on right now? Yeah, just uh, just being making sure that I don't uh, that that I'm becoming sort of my optimal self for a lot of reasons. Like one, so I could be amazing in my relationship. Two, so that I can be super effective at work. Three, so I can be happy. Well, I'm, I am happy, but you know, like so that I can really be an optimal version of myself. So when you're doing something like this, you definitely have no choice but to be super focused and have essentially no or very few side projects. So I have you know, hobbies and I rock climb and I go to the gym and I, you know, other things like that. But the main thing is like, how can I be the optimal version of myself? And that's like, that's like a project that can last a lifetime. But it's definitely, it's the good thing is, is once you do it, uh, or once you get better at it, it's helpful everywhere. So it's helpful in your personal relationships. It's helpful, you know, with your family, it's helpful all over the place. And that's like something that really matters to me. And that keeps me on track. Is that something that you are you're like currently reading a book about, or is there anything that you could refer people to? So, for example, one of the mm-hmm. big books that I uh, recommend to people, I always say, like, hey, read The Flinch. It's like 30-something pages, and it's free. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's yeah. usually a low enough barrier. People be like, I'll check it out. <laughs> sure. what, what would be something that you might recommend people uh, who might be working on similar things? Like a book, you mean? Like a book, a blog post, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever it's, uh, influenced uh, you. Yeah, I, I have a few that I that I sort of rely on on a regular basis. The one one of them is that I read an enormous amount of biographies, and so a biography that I'm reading right now is a book about Charlie Munger, which is uh, who is Warren Buffett's uh, business partner and who's considered to be one of the broadest thinkers in history. Like they call him and Benjamin Franklin like the two broadest thinkers in history or whatever. And so by reading about that, you sort of learn about the ways that somebody like that thinks and. And he thinks talks about investment, but he talks about everything being investment. You know, your time is your investment. Uh, everything that you do is sort of an investment in something. And so you learn about sort of how to how to do things from another person's point of view, and you draw conclusions from history that are super valuable as well. I think. And then from a personal perspective, I don't know. I just you know, I don't know. I, I read lots of books on history. I read. I, I read. I'm reading a book about the history of Dungeons and Dragons right now, which is super interesting. I, I read books about, you know, coaches, football coaches and all these things. And like fundamentally, it is a little weird. Like it's like everything has a goal and kind of is aided, is there to sort of help me do what I'm doing better. But it is an incredibly rewarding thing to become better and more like, I don't know, more of a master or something at the thing that you've decided to make your life's work or whatever your life for the next 10 years. So like being a painter if you're devoted to it, you would always, everything would be about painting and you would always think about painting and how to do something, be a better painter. So it's, it's kind of the same. And I always rely on, you know, I, I feel like in books, like every, all the wisdom of the world is in, is in books. And if you just keep reading, you'll, you'll just capture amazing, amazing, amazing things that you would never be able to capture from like even people that you know. So it's one of the core things that I really care about. Says a former writer. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Sure. Thanks, yeah. Julian. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on Process. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. You heard it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Julian, CEO and founder of Breather, a company that's revolutionizing not just how we think about, but also how we use space. By the way, you can find links to everything we mentioned throughout the show and also Julian's projects at process.show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed my talk with Julian, let me know. I'm Marcinator over on Twitter. 
I'll be back next Friday with the next episode of Process and more on managing the ups and downs of creating and making. I'm Marcela, your host, and this was Process.